Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I want to begin today by talking about history and Georgia's chance to make it here this upcoming season. Now, there is one element of this that you're already very well aware of, so let's begin with that here right now. Georgia, you may have heard, is trying to go for three in 23. And by now, I think a lot of us have kind of sort of figured out that this hasn't happened in college football since 1934, 1935, and 1936, when, believe it or not, the Minnesota Golden Gophers were uh, capable of stepping up and doing that. So anytime you sort of think about Georgia trying to do something in college football that hasn't happened since 1936, that's like an amazing level of history at stake for Georgia here this season. And what that does for me is it creates a little bit of a litmus test. And we are about to enter into like hardcore college football talking season. Now, for us, talking seasons every day because we talk for a living, living. But we're about to be in like media days time of year when ESPN kind of wakes up from its doldrums of covering anything but college football. They'll start covering college football again. Some of the other national media types will kind of do some of that there as well. We're about to see people who kind of only talk about college football for part of the year start to talk about college football now again pretty consistently for the next few months. And to me, an interesting litmus test going forward is how much does the national media acknowledge the truth of the matter, which is Georgia trying to win a third straight national championship is the most interesting, most important, most significant thing that can happen in college football here this season. And it's not some sort of remote possibility that might occur. It's actually statistically more likely to occur than not. I think most would would probably have you believe that Georgia's trying to make a rare level of history. I believe if Georgia were to win a third straight national championship here during the college ball playoff era, as competitive as this sport has become, it'd be the greatest short-term streak of success any college team's ever had maybe not as good yet as the long-range success that Nick Saban and Alabama have had since 2007 or maybe some other program uh, that you might want to mention there as well but over the course of the short term three straight years of national championships this would be the greatest short-term run of success in college football history there's obviously no comparison to the sport in the 1930s compared to the sport here in the 2020s that goes without saying so it'll be interesting to see whether it be ESPN analyst or Fox analyst or you know guy on the internet or whatever else How many people are kind of that national media type college football talkers? How many of them fully openly acknowledge the fact that Georgia is the story right now in college football? And you can get to Ohio State, Michigan, and the Big Ten, and you can get to final year of Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12, and you can get to Caleb Williams, Heisman Trophy winner out there at USC. You can talk about other stuff. But you got to acknowledge first that all of that is secondary. That's the undercard to Georgia trying to win a third straight national championship. That is actual living history that Georgia has a chance to be a part of here this year. And you have to go back a long time to find that ever before in, in our sport, 1936. That's what's at stake for Georgia here this season. But that isn't the only history that I think that Georgia can make here this year. Now, the truth is, You may have other ideas about this. I'm not saying that my list is the end-all, be-all list. It's just a handful of things that I sort of, uh, you know, kind of had in mind. You may have some other history that's probably worth mentioning, too. And if you you do, I'd love to have you share it with me. Add Dog Nation Daily or something like that. When I'm back from my Royal Caribbean cruise, I'd be more than happy to, 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 you know, bring that to life for everybody else. But here are a couple of things I had in mind. 
in addition to trying to win a third straight national championship, Georgia also has to chance to make history by doing something it has not done since 1981 and 1982 I guess 80-81-82 which is win SEC championships for a consecutive year and listen don't shortchange this here right now because while a third straight national championship is the biggest thing that Georgia could accomplish my guess is inside of Athens there is probably a little bit of energy around trying to win a second straight SEC championship because of the prestige of winning this league here right now, you know, prior to it going to a 16-team league next year in the final year of SEC East and SEC West divisions. With all of that kind of still in place as it has been, kind of closing that out with a second straight SEC championship, something something this program has not done since the early 80s, my guess is is that Georgia's probably pretty motivated on that. And this is a little bit of an educated guess because if you want to go back to a year ago when Kirby was being pressed on, oh, back-to-back national championship, you guys could do that. You guys can do that. No one's done that in the playoff era. At that particular time, Kirby would kind of pivot on that a little bit. I remember one interview in particular on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt where in the midst of being pressured on winning that national championship for a second straight year, Kirby kind of reminded Scott that Georgia also had a pretty big goal of winning the SEC championship there as well. And in light of what could happen this year, what Kirby Smart said last year, I think is pretty relevant. Here is Kirby on SportsCenter on that topic. A lot of these teams that we've seen since the playoffs started are there every year, right? But we haven't had a repeat. The idea that that could be done again, something that hasn't been done yet, how, how much of a, of, of a sort of ring does that represent at the end of the line for you? Yeah, that, that is awesome, Scott, and that's, that's awesome. But that's the last thing from our mind. I mean, I got really, it. I think this, team, this team's driving factor is they really want to win an SEC championship, and you okay. can't really do that without winning in Starbucks. Because they want to do something last year's team didn't do, and we didn't win the SEC last year. So it's one step at a time, and you can't win the SEC until you win the SEC East, and that starts with winning at Starkville. So in total honesty here, there's probably an element of that from Kirby that's just deflecting on the notion of the back-to-back national championships and not wanting to give the money quote on that. But on the other hand, in Kirby's own words, you hear him express just how significant a SEC championship would have been to Georgia last season. So a chance here this year for the first time since the early 80s to win SEC championships in consecutive years, my guess is is that's the kind of thing that will probably motivate Georgia. It's not as significant as winning a third straight national championship, but it also isn't insignificant to Georgia there either. And then one more thing on a slightly different, I guess, uh, vein in terms of history, history that Georgia can make here this year. Another number that's kind of floating out in my mind a little bit right now is it's not just 1936, the last time since three straight national championships. I've been thinking a little bit about 1949 as of late. And a lot of folks are probably not aware of this, but that's how far you have to go back into the annals of college football history to find a tight end winning the Heisman Trophy. His name was Leon Hart. He played for Notre Dame. And if you want to know another kind of cool piece of college football trivia, Hart's also the biggest person to ever win the Heisman Trophy. He weighed 260 pounds, which at the time was huge. Uh, but even in comparison to recent Heisman Trophy winners, is also big there as well. Uh, kind of a cool trivial fact, you know, the last tight end to win in 1949 and the largest player to ever win the Heisman Trophy, uh, that was Leon Hart. And while Georgia's going for its second straight SEC championship and its third straight national championship, I think we need to take very seriously the possibility that Georgia can also be historic as well by seeing a tight end 
win the Heisman Trophy for the first time since 1949. And I know that may seem like a little bit of a pipe dream, and obviously this is kind of a quarterback's award, and the guy who won it last year is coming back to college football here this year, and if it's not him, it's some other quarterback that's likely to win it. But, y'all, we have seen a lot of barriers sort of broken down with the Heisman Trophy as of late. And it's getting to be, I think, a little bit more likely that something like this could occur. In fact, let me once again let you hear from Kirby Smart here, because back in 2021, you may remember we were kind of pushing the JD to NYC. We wanted Jordan Davis to be a Heisman finalist there that year. That talking point developed some steam over the course of the year you'll remember that cbs kind of highlighted our campaign on that for the georgia florida pregame show and espn kind of did their stuff on that there as well that we were really trying to push the idea of jordan davis as a heisman finalist back then as sort of an avatar for the kind of selfless nature of the georgia defense and at one point in time that got to be pretty serious ultimately davis wasn't a heisman finalist we think he deserved to be but uh he wasn't a heisman finalist but it got serious enough that Kirby Smart was sort of talking about that. And not just Jordan Davis, but the idea of kind of an unorthodox Heisman finalist in an era in which that award had been almost solely defined by quarterbacks, at least in most years. And what Kirby Smart said back in 2021 about Jordan Davis, I think can still be relevant for a guy like Brock Bowers here in 2023. So let me let you hear Kirby as a way of kind of defining is it realistic that Bowers could be the first tight end to win the Heisman since 1949? Kirby's words may got us. Take a listen. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I would probably have said before the season that's impossible because statistics lead you to believe that it's always going to be an offensive player. Um, in terms of numbers they put up, you know, I thought it was amazing last year that a receiver won it. I never thought that would happen again. I thought it would be a, a quarterback's world because that's the, the world we live in and play in. But I certainly think that when you look at the draft, people see it different. You know, like what is the Heisman? Is it the the best college football players, the most dominant is the most valuable. You, you can go through all these different things in terms of uh, that. And we don't, we don't really care. We let you guys decide that. And uh, I respect it, but it's not something that we look for. And I'll be honest with you, the guys on our team are so bought into their roles. And as long as they do that, we'll keep getting better. You know, my biggest fear is uh, guys worrying about things like that and, and not the total team success. And I think at Georgia, you don't have to be – well, it's Kirby's job to be worried about that. Ultimately, we know how bought in Georgia players are to all that. Brock Bowers himself, the word on the street was a year ago that Bowers was foregoing NIL opportunities to make sure his teammates got paid. So there's very little concern that Bowers is going to get too worked up on individual accolades. He seemingly is all about the team, which is all the more reason we'd love for a guy like that to win the Heisman Trophy if he could. And I think the point of all this is – is that Bauer's chances of doing this may be better than you realize. As Kirby pointed out there in that clip, we saw a wide receiver win this award in 2020, and prior to that happening, that wasn't the kind of thing that was supposed to be possible. You know, we talked in 2021 about Jordan Davis being a Heisman finalist. He wasn't, but Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan was. So once again, a little bit of an unorthodox uh, type Heisman candidacy, if you will. Also, Georgia, who is kind of a team sort of thought of as such a team concept where really very few players stand out above the rest at one point in time that was kind of thought to be the sort of thing that would prohibit any Georgia player from being a Heisman finalist but last year Stetson Bennett was kind of once again kind of kicking through a glass ceiling that had existed for this program since 1992 so given the fact that a Georgia player has kind of 
you know, sort of wet the whistle for all of this by being a Heisman finalist a year ago, the fact that unorthodox campaigns have seemingly done well the last couple of years, why couldn't it be Brock Bowers? In fact, I'll go so far as to assume that the biggest knock against Bowers could actually become a little bit of a positive for him if he really were to sort of pick it up and have the kind of season we think he's capable of having. In other words, I think a lot of people could actually become more enamored by Bowers because he's a tight end, kind of representing just how special a player this can be, kind of redefining what that position even means. Plus, Kirby Smart said this offseason, they want to try to get the ball to him as many different ways as they can. That creates a, a great opportunity here. And, you know, Bauer's just one of those guys that has a tendency to sort of draw the spotlight in his direction, those wild plays he makes during the game. So as you're making the list of possible history that Georgia could make this season, back-to-back SEC championships, maybe three straight national championships, hopefully, let's leave a little room at the table here for Brock Bowers. It's been a long time since any player in college football won the Heisman Trophy as a tight end. It's a very, very rare thing to take place. But Brock Bowers is also a very rare kind of player. And if anybody is capable of doing that, I'd say he certainly fits the bill. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by our friends at Merriweather and Tharp. We are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video. Normally, it's 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, every day at 10 a.m. across all platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. This week, we're kind of preempting our uh, first and 15 because I am gone for the next couple of days, tomorrow and then Monday, back again on Tuesday. We'll get back to our... 9:45 normal first and 15 stuff thanks so much for those of you who continue to be a part of our show even when i can't be here live some of you listen to the radio at noon on athens sports radio 960 revenue as a podcast apple spotify everything else in between we are just really glad to have you a part of what we're doing here today and a special thanks for sure to our friends at merriweather and tharp who make it all possible you know divorce that's their expertise that's what they know that's what they are all about and for you that is a tough word. That is not an emotionally neutral word. It brings about all kinds of either bad memories about something that's happened in your past or anxiety about something that might be happening in your present or something that might happen in the future. Totally understand uh, all of that. And yet I also know that if it's a reality that must be confronted, having a plan to confront that reality, that just makes sense. And our friends at Merriweather and Tharp, that's what they're all about. They're about explaining options to you so you can create the plan for your life here moving forward. And y'all, that is a very valuable thing. It's one of the reasons why I recommend them so heartily. Because for people who find themselves stuck in a tough situation, getting out of that situation, making the best of that situation, it's just one of the most generous things that anyone can do for you. And our friends at Meriwether and Tharp can do that for you for sure. So go to their website, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com. Take a look at all the free resources they provide, blog posts, podcasts, ways in which you can begin the process of educating yourself about what what it means to get a divorce, specifically what it means for you, and then have a free initial consultation with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys, and then make the decision, if it's right for you, to hire Meriwether and Tharp to handle your divorce process, because no one's going to work harder for you, no one's going to stand more steadfastly by you, and no one's going to be more committed to getting you into a successful next season of your life more so than my friends at Meriwether and Tharp so find them online today the Atlanta divorce team.com that's the Atlanta divorce team.com Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce all right coming up in just a couple of minutes here we're going to talk to Terrence Edwards fun conversation with Terrence where 
I present to Terrence some of the same over-under questions I've been doing this week. I talked about the Stets Bennett thing yesterday. Mike Griffith kind of ran through a lot of these questions. We're going to do that with Terrence here in just a moment, but in addition to that with Terrence, uh, one of the things we're also going to do is address the perception of Georgia with wide receivers. We heard some stuff earlier this week, five-star Jeremiah Smith, kind of throwing water on the notion that he was seriously or would even seriously consider choosing Georgia based on his perception of the UJ offense. I'm going to ask Terrence here in a moment whether or not there is a perception concern that ought to exist for Georgia fans about the way in which wide receivers see this Georgia offense and have seen this Georgia program. Terrence is going to have some interesting things to say about that coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. Prior to that, though, let's go around the doghouse here today. And kind of Speaking of the idea of over-unders and expectations of the upcoming season, one of the things we're asking this week is our expectation for the Georgia offense, specifically when it comes to rushing the football. And one of the things you'll notice, you'll see this with Mike here in a moment, is that while when it comes to quarterback position, you know, I gave a specific number for a specific player, 27 touchdowns for Carson Beck. We talked about that on the show yesterday. For the Georgia running back position, just given some of the uncertainty, this is one of the position groups we probably saw less of during spring practice. Kendall Milton was injured. Dejon Edwards was banged up. Uh, Branson Robinson also uh, sustains an injury there near the end of spring. That we at, Andrew Paul is still recovering from injury that we actually probably left spring practice knowing a little bit less about the Georgia running back position than maybe we would some other Georgia position groups. So therefore, when we talk about projections for the upcoming season, as I'm going to frame it to Mike here in a moment, it's more about what do you expect from Georgia's leading rusher? You can decide who you think Georgia's leading rusher is going to be, but what do you expect from Georgia's leading rusher? And it also kind of leads me into a deal where while I leave the door open for somebody else to make the case for any number of Georgia running backs, and I truly believe you could make the case for a lot of them potentially here this season, I am also just as optimistic about Kendall Milton as I ever was. And I know that Kendall's had you know some setbacks, and I know from Kendall's own perspective, he probably hasn't played at Georgia's maybe as much up old now as he would have liked to have. But boy, it does not change for me the belief that this can be, and I believe probably will be a very uh, special and successful season for Kendall Milton here coming up here this year. I just think his patience is likely to be rewarded. And I'm reminded of Kendall Milton's own perspective on this. If you want to go back to spring practice, you know, looking at the Georgia offense, he was going to get a chance to be a part of that now featured Mike Bobo as offensive coordinator. And Kendall Milton, who wants to have a big year at Georgia, I think looks at Mike Bobo as the kind of offensive coordinator that can deliver that for him here this season, or at least create the kind of opportunity where Milton can deliver that for himself and make good and all the potential that he's always had here at UGA. I love the excitement that Kendall expressed about working with Mike Bobo. Let's get a reminder of just how profound that was going back to the spring here's Kendall Milton yeah I'm definitely excited to uh, you know partake in this office with coach Bobo um, just seeing what he's put on in the past just seeing the success that running backs have had in his offense it just makes me excited it makes me want to you know just you know go out there and just just keep balling out just keep working hard because the opportunities on the table um, for me I feel like I've seen that just seeing how much he's ran the ball and the stats in his past offenses so you know I'm excited for this year I'm excited not just for myself but for the whole offense to be able to go out there one last time and be able to have fun with the guys 
Boy, I love that phrase at the end, being able to have fun. We've said for a good number of years here that if you want to thin slice the concept of uh, Georgia football, if it looks like they're having fun, they probably are. And if they're having fun, they're probably successful in the last couple of years. Georgia football's never been more fun to watch than it has been. Uh, a reminder of just how true that is from Kendall Milton. And you know, the number that we've set here this week for the Georgia leading rusher is 843 yards. I'm going to talk to Mike Griffith about that here in a moment. But as a precursor to that, I will tell you, that not only do I think the Georgia leading rusher exceeds that 843 yards, I believe it's going to be Kendall Milton who does that. And that may seem overly ambitious. We have a tendency to bet the over probably too much during the offseason. I don't mind that when it comes to individual performances for the Georgia players. We may have a, and by we, I mean all Georgia fans, those of us who are a part of Dog Nation, we may have a tendency to be a little too ambitious with some of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you know, I kind of value contrarian thinking. And there's a level of skepticism right now about Georgia running backs and their health and whatever else. I'm just not going to match that skepticism. I'm really not. Um, I think this is potentially a very deep position group. And if the Georgia passing offense functions as well as I think it can, I think that creates opportunities for the Georgia rushing attack. And if you want to just sort of keep this in mind from a sort of more practical standpoint, Georgia could be up big in a lot of games here this year. And opportunities for running backs late in the season this has been the kind of place where a lot of running backs if you look at some of the big rushing totals for uh, sec running backs in recent years a good portion of some of those big rushing totals have come late in games in uh, which their team especially think about Najee harris in alabama or something like that late in games big lead chewing up rushing yards that's been a big opportunity for some sec running backs and i could i believe it could be a big opportunity for maybe a couple of georgia running backs here this year but one of those for me is kendall milton uh that's not the question i'm asking our folks this week i'm just simply asking them to give their outlook for Georgia's leading rusher. But I'll give you a name here. I believe it's Milton. I believe he goes over 843 yards, which puts him in the category of where a Kenny McIntosh and, a, and, and a Zamir White have been the last couple of years for UGA. I think the Georgia rushing attack is likely to be in good hands, in other words, here this season, despite the fact we didn't get a chance to see much of that position group back during the spring. That is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. Before we're done, I gave you my predicted order of finish for the SEC East uh, uh, yesterday. Actually, I'm doing no, I'm doing the SEC East here today. So we'll do SEC East here today. We'll do SEC West tomorrow. That will be a, a, a really fun time as we kind of go on the record and start to make our official predictions. I joked about this earlier this week. On Monday, I'll give you my playoff picks. I'm not too excited about those. It was sort of the best four I could come up with but I'm not quite so confident about those my order of finish for the SEC I probably feel a little bit better about that and so we'll get to that coming up in a couple of minutes time but for now on the outlook for Georgia this upcoming season answering my over under questions let's do some of that with our buddy Terrence Edwards here right now today on Dog Nation Daily presented by uh, Meriwether and Tharp we will look forward to doing that and glad to have all of you with us here today From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, happy to have Terrence Edwards, the great former George wide receiver in the program. We will continue the theme that we've been kind of operating with this week, looking at some 
over-unders for Georgia here this season. Just kind of a fun way to sort of preview what's going to take place while I'm on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. I also want to take care of some serious business with Terrence before we get there uh, as well. Terrence, first of all, welcome to the program. Glad to have you here. And, you know, earlier this week, we saw an interesting comment from Jeremiah Smith, great five-star wide receiver. Obviously, he's going to Ohio State, and he's seemingly remaining steadfast in that commitment. We know how great they are uh, in terms of producing terrific wide receivers. But Jeremiah also said that, you know, he wasn't really sure that Georgia threw the ball enough for someone like him. And if he were to make a different decision other than George, uh, other than Ohio State, that Georgia wouldn't even necessarily be his number two choice. They may be as far down as number three or something like that. And it kind of circles back to uh, a discussion that we've had before here about the perception of Georgia wide receivers among elite wide receiver recruits such as Jeremiah Smith. Now, the numbers tell a pretty good story. Georgia certainly scored plenty of points. And, you know, obviously the productivity has been, you know, pretty high here the last couple of years. But still, for a guy like Jeremiah Smith, that old perception of the Georgia wide receiver situation still kind of lingers a little bit. How much do you think Georgia needs to do something about this, Terrence? And how much you know can georgia necessarily do about this necessarily i don't think we need to do anything about it i think we have brought in um, a lot of talented receivers uh, that fits what we're trying to do um sure he has a perception but if you just look at the numbers last year um we threw for over four thousand yards last year in the on the amount of number of games that we played in yes we haven't had any thousand yard receivers but we have had very productive. I mean, if you look at Brock with his 900 yards plus, you look at Lad McConkie with his 700 yards plus. Um, so you necessarily doesn't – you know, I would love to have the talent that Jeremiah Smith brings to the table. He's very talented. But Georgia's also been able to find talent like Lad McConkie. They've also been able to find guys that nobody really knows about that are great wide receivers. So – Yes, I would love that type of receiver, um, and we will get those guys and, you know, A.J. and uh, George Pickett. But necessarily, we don't need them. Clearly, we don't because we want two back-to-back national championships. So with that in mind, we're going to transition here and talk about some of the expectations for Georgia this year. We're going to do this, like, via over-under. So I'm going to give you a number, and you have to tell me if you think Georgia's going to go over that or under that here for this year. It's just kind of a fun way we're going to do that. And starting with kind of the passing game and looking at the guy I think we presume to be Georgia's starting quarterback right now, Carson Beck. I have set Terrence the over-under total here at 27 touchdown passes for uh, Beck here this season. Do you think that he will go over that number, having more than 27, or under that number, having less than that? I'm going to go over with the amount of games that we're going to play. I'm going to give it 30. There you go. And Terrence, if you see 30 touchdown passes from Beck, which I do think is a possibility, I think you could be right on that, that also goes a long way in towards showing that Georgia can use what on paper right now is probably the best, most talented crop of receivers to begin a season. We've seen this program have maybe even since you played at Georgia going back uh, you know, a, a number of years ago now. So if Beck does get to that 30 number in excess of the over-under that I sat there, set there, that kind of shows you that Georgia may be able to use the wide receivers that it currently has pretty well. Oh, most definitely. I just look at the history of Coach Bobo, uh, especially when he was the, at Colorado State, uh, the number of guys that he put in the NFL for us, the receiver position and how they threw the ball, along with the talent that we do have. And I just think Carson Beck on talent um, is up there 
in the tops of the SEC. It's not Joe Milton strong, but he's, I think, at the end of the day, will be one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and I know what Bobo is trying to do. Bobo is going to try to throw the football. Um, so we're going to see the same scheme, but I just think you'll see a little bit more throwing than normal. So this is exactly how this game is played. Terrence, you're off to a great start with that. I want to look at a different aspect of the offense here right now. Now, in the case of the quarterback position, I gave you the specific name, Carson Beck. When it comes to this next question, I'm not going to be so specific with the name, but I am going to give you a number. How about over or under 843 yards for Georgia's leading rusher here this season? Will the leading rusher for Georgia, whoever it ends up being, be over or under 843 yards? I am going to say under. Okay. Uh, I think the the running back by committee is going to be uh, something that we we delve into. I think with Ken, Kendall Milton, I will I would say he's probably going to be the leading rusher. Yeah. But we also got to take into a, to account the injury history that he's had. Uh, so I'm going to say under. Yeah. For our guests this week, I'm kind of giving them the freedom to kind of assume whoever they want is the leading rusher but for me I'm kind of like you my assumption is that Kendall Milton will be Georgia's leading rusher here this year and I know the injury question looms and obviously the the events of spring kind of add to that here a little bit but overall I still stay pretty optimistic that this is going to be kind of that season that Kendall has been patient for at Georgia that he's been waiting for he finally gets a chance to kind of step out of the shadow of other Georgia running backs and kind of have his own chance to be the leader here that Milton is my assumed leading rusher and it sounds like you feel the same way oh most definitely I think he will be I think he's going to stay really healthy this year Um, but as you can see the last few years we have definitely did the platoon uh, at that position so but I do believe Kendall will be our leading rusher all right so moving to the other side of the ball here for a moment here's how I'm going to set this for the defense over or under three first team all SEC players at the end of the season over under three first team all SEC defensive players for Georgia okay let me let me look so I'm gonna take uh, Malachi Stark okay I'm going to take Smile Monday. Okay. We could go with the two linebackers. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think at the D-line position, who do we have? Or the outside rushes. Uh, Mikael Williams is there. Mikael Williams, yes. So, definitely over. Okay, definitely over. So, Georgia had two a year ago, did have three in 2021. So, they've certainly matched that three number before. Uh, but it sounds like Terrence pretty optimistic what, what they'll be able to do. And your thought process on this almost exactly like mine is. It's like I can give you somebody from the secondary, whether it be Malachi or Javon Buller, whoever else, but I can give you at least one there. I can give you at least one of the linebackers between Smile Monon, assuming he's healthy, and uh, Jamon Dumas-Johnson. And it's like, well, if you can find one more out of the front seven, then you've gotten to push there at that point in time. And if you can find anybody else anywhere else, you know, possibly doubling up in the secondary, or something like that well that's how you get to the four the more right and you know what i'm gonna tell i'm gonna go push i'm gonna say three okay i'm gonna say push i'm I'm gonna push i do think we 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 definitely could get three i'm gonna go push so next question slightly complicated and we'll see if i can make sure i explain it the right way how about over or under one regular season game decided by a touchdown or less last year we saw one regular season game 
played closely between Georgia and Missouri. How about for this year? Over or under one regular season game decided by a touchdown or less? Thinking about the schedule. So I think Tennessee game will be pretty close. Uh, I, I don't think we would dominate them like we did last year. Uh, but I do think we will win. So that's one. Uh, Florida, no. Auburn, no. South Carolina, no. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go – I'm gonna go push. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna say there's gonna be one game that that's that's the Missouri game that we have to have to fight it out for a victory. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna say Tennessee. I'm gonna say Tennessee going back up to Neyland Stadium. Okay. Um, we know what offensively what they present, um, even though we handled them last year. Uh, so you know I, that that is a different type of offense. So I'm gonna go. I'm going to go push, and I'm going to give it to Tennessee. Even though we still win, it's going to be a nail-biter. Well, fair enough. That's certainly uh, understandable logic there on that. And then finally, there's this. Looking at the entirety uh, of the league here for a moment, over or under 1.5 SEC teams in the college football playoff? In other words, do Mm. you see there being two? Do you only see there being one? Over or under 1.5 SEC teams in the college football playoff? I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over. I'm going to say we get two wins. Um, I think, you know, Georgia, I think, would be undefeated uh, going into the SEC championship game. And I think LSU have definitely got better. Um, so I, I predict them and Alabama uh, probably will be fighting it out for the West. Um, so I'm going to say two. I think there, there could be two undefeated teams going in, into the SEC championship game, um, and I think both would get in. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say over. So here's what's interesting is you know in 2021 we saw the two SEC teams make the playoff and Georgia got in after losing the SEC championship. But the last time prior to that there had been two SEC teams in the college football playoff, we saw Alabama get in with not playing in the SEC championship. So I guess the question is, if Alabama and LSU are kind of fighting to be the other SEC team that makes the college football playoff along with what we assume will be Georgia, is it better to win the West and come up short in the SEC championship or is it better to lose the head-to-head matchup between Alabama and LSU and kind of be sitting there at 11 and 1? Well, I me personally, I always I always on, on the offensive. I want to be in the game. I want to have something that I can control. I can't control it if I lose and then have to wait on others to control my destiny. I like to kind of control my destiny, you know. If I don't, if I'm not in that SEC championship game, I have to sit and wait. Even if we lose, I know I had a hand in trying to help my team win. So I'd rather go to the SEC championship game and lose instead of losing and not going to the SEC championship game and waiting outside in. So I'd rather go and play in the game than, than not at all. Terrence, great stuff as always. We really appreciate that. And obviously your love for the sport of football and your knowledge about football comes shining through every time we get a chance to speak to you. And that's the same kind of knowledge you're imparting as a part of the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy there as well. I know a lot of the high school guys are going through summer workouts and getting ready for the upcoming season. We're not that far away from the start of the season if you start thinking about it. But a lot of middle school folks have been working with you. And you obviously you're out there connecting with people all the time. I know you just had a guy you work with was able to announce a great commitment here this week uh, there too so you're busy all the time and how folk how can folks get in touch with the terrence edwards wide receiver academy if that's what they want to do you can reach me on all social media platforms at terrence edwards wide receiver academy 
Terrence, thanks for pre-recording this with us here today. We'll look forward to talking to you live again next week. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Fun conversation there with Terrence Edwards. I really feel like our over-under stuff has actually worked out really well. Seems like that is a very fun device, good way to kind of speak about, predict the upcoming season. Really kind of zeroing in what we expect from Georgia here this season. Thought Mike Griffith did a good job of that on Wednesday. Some of his answers I might not have totally agreed with, but at least laid the groundwork for some of what we're going to be doing here. And then Terrence Edwards, I thought, stepped up and did a really good job with that on today's show there as well. Tomorrow, our guest is Jeff Sintel, and I had initially planned on kind of doing some of the over-under stuff with Jeff. We actually just got into a lot of the regular recruiting stuff that's in the news as of late, and so ultimately we ended up not really having time for that, but uh, we're still making, uh, I think, a lot of good use out of that over-under concept in terms of kind of laying the groundwork for exactly what we expect from Georgia here uh, this season. Now, for now, we want to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. It's actually been a really fun week around Dog Nation because we got a chance to make a huge announcement earlier this week. That is the fact that the Dog Nation cruise is returning in 2024, and it is literally bigger and better than ever. Now, how specifically would you say that's true? Well, it's because for the first time ever, the Dog Nation Cruise is going to set sail on board an Oasis-class ship. That's exactly right. An Oasis-class ship, Allure of the Seas. That means all of those gigantic neighborhoods and really fun things that only the largest class of ships that sail at sea uh, can offer for you. That's what we're going to have in store for our Dog Nation Cruise. That means the Central Park. That means the Boardwalk. That means the Aqua Theater on the back of the ship. That means so many fun and special things that you only get on an Oasis-class ship like Allure of the Seas. It's the first time ever that an Oasis-class ship is going to be taking these three- and four-night sailings. Our cruise, obviously, itinerary is a four-night sailing. It's April 22nd through the 26th here in 2024. Uh, it's going to be going to Nassau in the Bahamas. Perfect day, Coco Cay. You've heard me talking about that a ton. And we've only got room for 200 staterooms on this cruise. It's bigger than ever uh, before, and the demand is already sort of matching the size of the Dog Nation cruise. That means you need to get going on this right now. Not too soon to start thinking about spring of 2024 and a great travel opportunity. Go to royaldogs.com. That's the website, royaldogs.com. And you can plan to be with us on our Dog Nation cruise coming up in April of 2024. I cannot wait. For that. All right. So I told you yesterday what we do today as a part of some pre recorded shows why I myself am enjoying a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. It's time now, kind of midsummer, to get very serious about the official predictions. We're a little bit, a couple of weeks ahead of SEC Media Days where a lot of this stuff kind of gets cemented in stone. So it's time for us to kind of go ahead and do our prediction stuff so as a part of cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean right now that's what i want to do i'm going to begin by giving my official sec east predictions and i was thinking about that this week and listen i would obviously take this version of reality over anything else you know seven days out of the week but it did occur to me i'm someone who's kind of always been sort of someone who loves shouting into a microphone about college football that's just my thing i love doing it and making preseason predictions is a big part of that. And listen, half this stuff ends up not coming true. Uh, you know, a lot of this is just sort of the best guess you can make. Some of this is sort of a little bit of a stretch just for fun. But whatever it is, whether it's a prediction that comes true or one that doesn't come true, I love making preseason predictions. And I have to say, 
that a weird byproduct of Georgia being as good as it has been, it's sort of taken some of the fun out of doing preseason predictions. In other words, like what's the point of predicting the order of finishing the SEC East? Whoever finishes two through seven in the final year of the SEC East, by the way, we assume that Georgia will run away with the division. So it's almost rendered irrelevant the idea of making preseason predictions, but I still am going to do them. But it's just kind of funny. You know, there was a time in this show's history where even picking Georgia to win the SEC East would have been a little bit of a, a headline grabber. Hey, my, I believe that Georgia can win the East this year. Uh, there was a time in which we kind of made some headlines when we kind of came up with the concept of own the East. Do you remember that? Own the East, the idea that Georgia would not just win the division this year, but it would kind of control the division every year. Well, folks, guess what? That prophecy has been fulfilled. Uh, that's exactly the way that the world works out right now. Uh, so with that in mind, the, the, this is the final time we will ever do preseason predictions for the SEC East because after this year, the SEC East is no more. We don't fully know what the future of the SEC scheduling model is going to look like, but we do know there is no SEC East. So this will be the last year we ever do this. Let me th throw this on the screen for the, those of you watching on video. Here's my predicted order of finish for the SECs. I'm going to start from my from the bottom here and work my way up. Vanderbilt, worst team in the division. They're better than they used to be, but they may not quite be as good this year as they were last year. They actually won a couple of SEC games a year ago. Uh, you know, I like A.J. Swan at quarterback. I like some of the stuff that Clark Lee is doing. I just think SEC wins are hard to come by. So even an improved version of Vanderbilt from where they were a couple of seasons ago still fairly easy to sort of pencil them in down there at the bottom i've got missouri at number six this is a team last year that obviously georgia got you know a pretty stern test from we know the story here they are good defensively luther burden is really about the only thing they have offensively though i think the quarterback competition is pretty interesting there you know jake garcia comes in as the miami transfer former touted recruit uh but really not really shown you much in a college uniform as of yet uh, I predicted a couple of weeks ago that I thought that Eli Drinkwitz might be the most likely SEC coach to get fired. And I don't have much reason to change my mind on that right now. He needs to be better offensively, especially when that's kind of the side of the ball that he would have some expertise on. So for now, Missouri's a team we can put in at number six in the SEC East. I've got Florida at five. I'll, I'll admit that Florida's a little bit of a swing team here and that some of the math nerd types actually like Florida a little bit this season. I don't see where that comes from, though um you're talking about a, a team that's very likely to start Graham Mertz at quarterback uh, that is no recipe for success uh you're just looking at a team that you know their overall blue chip number is like 60 something percent or something like that so there's a decent number of former four and five star recruits on this roster after all while Dan Mullen ultimately got fired for not being a very good recruiter the truth is that Florida was still out recruiting most teams in the SEC just based on the geographic advantage that it had but when you hear that number hey more than 60 percent of this roster is former four and five star recruits when you actually see them on the field when you see the Gators on paper I, I think sometimes you're left to conclude well where are these guys where are all these former four and five star recruits that supposedly exist on this roster where are the blue chips here they're clearly I don't think along the, the lines of scrimmage I expect Florida to be you know pretty weak on the offensive line and not great on the defensive line either very young defensive coordinator keep that in mind here too um you know the possibility exists they could find a win or two steal them somewhere but the truth is i just don't see any realistic scenario 
where they're any better than fourth best in the SEC East, or I should say fifth best in the SEC East, they may be lucky to get there. Kentucky, I've got it fourth. I don't have much to say about them. I think the the uh, re- the return of Liam Cohen, his offensive coordinator, probably makes a pretty big deal here. Transfer quarterback, they're going to kind of lean on there too. This will probably be a typical Kentucky team. Hard to beat, but you know, collecting a handful of losses, about middle of the pack in the SEC East, and just as boring as paint dry to watch play. That's a guessing what you get from Kentucky. That's typically what you do. The only thing I have that even comes close to warranting a little bit of an eyebrow raise, a little bit of a surprise, I do have South Carolina ahead of Tennessee. My prediction is that South Carolina will win uh, enough games to be second in the SEC East. Obviously, I've got Georgia winning the division. Spoiler alert, I don't believe Georgia loses. No, n- neither do you. So the only thing I've got that even kind of comes close to being a little bit of a surprise, I've got South Carolina at two ahead of Tennessee. Let me make my case for this just briefly. I've told you before, I believe that Tennessee is going to lose three games in the SEC here this year at least. I believe it loses at Alabama on third Saturday in October. It's clearly going to lose to Georgia. And I also believe that Texas A&M on the road beats Tennessee there as well. So if you've got three SEC losses for Tennessee, is there a way that South Carolina could avoid that third SEC loss and actually finish ahead of Tennessee in the division. I think there's a path forward. Now, keep in mind, South Carolina plays a couple of tough non-conference games. It's actually a slight point spread underdog to begin the season, neutral side against North Carolina. That's Drake May on the other side there for the Tar Heels. And obviously, Clemson at the end of the season, a game that South Carolina won a year ago, that's a tough non-conference game. So both those games could be losses, and South Carolina could still finish second in the SEC East, as you know, because uh, this is only about your conference record. So you're going to lose to Georgia. Obviously, that's a given. Can you find a way to only lose one other SEC game if you're South Carolina? Keep in mind, there is a very difficult stretch for the Gamecocks. I'm going to assume a victory home against Mississippi State. Then you've got a stretch of, what, four weeks in a row where you're at Tennessee, Florida, at Missouri, at Texas A&M. So the game that I think that Tennessee loses to Texas A&M, South Carolina is going to win that on the road. But the deal here is you've got to split with your two road games, Tennessee and at Texas A&M. And you got to find a way to win at Missouri. Now, keep in mind, South Carolina, since Eli Drinkwitz has been head coach, South Carolina has not performed well against Missouri, so that's actually a bigger game than you might realize there. But after that, you're talking about closing out your SEC slate against Vanderbilt, Kentucky. It's not the worst slate in conference overall, although it is a very challenging stretch during that four-game span that I mentioned there. So I think some way Gamecocks can find a way to only lose twice in conference they after all they they won four times in the sec a year ago you may not even realize that but they were four and four in the league a year ago so pretty good second year mark for shane beamer can he go six and two in the league this year can he finish second in the sec east i believe that he can i believe that he can and we will make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean so tomorrow we'll do our official predictions for the sec west there's a little bit more intrigue about that division to be completely frank there is the sec east had to kind of contrive it with south carolina in comparison to tennessee there 
the comparison is just a lot more fun in the SEC West, so we'll do that tomorrow. Speaking of having fun, we love doing that during this portion of the show every day with our golden shoes. We kind of banked a few golden shoe submissions to make sure we had some stuff to share uh, while we were gone. And our buddy Mad Dog, who's always so great with his golden shoe submissions, <laughs> shares this. So you've got Lane Kiffin and uh, Kirby Smart stuffing Billy Napier into a locker here. Kiffin saying, poor Sunbelt Billy. This goes back to the Austin Simmons thing the other day. Mad Dog saying that soon after losing a running back to Georgia and a four-star quarterback to Ole Miss, uh, that's the situation there for uh, Billy Napier. Of course, the Florida fans say, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? Uh, they've certainly had their share of recruiting wins as of late. I don't think Kirby Smart's worth anytime soon. And I think that's a very funny golden shoe submission from our buddy Mad Dog. Uh, so we will certainly give him a golden shoe for that today. And by the way, speaking of the lousy stinking Gators, how about 128 days from now, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating Florida again in the final matchup for these two teams in the SEC East, but the same result we've gotten used to as of late. Dogs on top, down in the cocktail party once again. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.